Uh, if you don't know, Micah, uh, Micah and his family are, they've been around Bridgeway for a long time, but they're new to the team as of this month. And so Micah is leading out as our young adult pastor, uh, and we're excited to have you and your family here. Uh, but I know you're going to be blessed. Micah's a powerhouse in the Lord. Uh, Micah's going to be wrapping up our Nevertheless series today. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Blake. Blake, the amount of profound things that come out of your mouth when you're doing transitions. It's like, okay, everybody, uh, let's get our prayer servants forward um, so that I can digest what he just said. Really profound. Awesome. Um, Let me pray and then I'm going to get into it. We're going to kind of ease into a a message and kind of a message out of a story. We'll use a few scriptures to kind of see it in scripture. Um, But let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you're here. Um, there's nothing better than a present, Father. The fact that you're here, um, it just means everything. We choose to set our attention, even in the midst of a message and stories, we're, we're, we're still seeking after you, even this morning. We just ask that you would come and manifest in this room. We don't want just that positional revelation that we know you're here. We want to experience your goodness. We want to see your glory, your displayed goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we uh, finished our, well, I finished my technical third week here um, on staff. And uh, the staff, to confirm, is amazing. Um, It has been confirmed. They're awesome. Um, We've had a lot of fun. Um, And uh, me and my wife have had a date night every single week. Um, for four weeks straight. I think two of those weeks, didn't we have two, I think? We're going to keep this streak alive. We're going to have another date this coming up week um, because we really like each other. And not only now do we really like each other, but we absolutely adore this city. And uh, if you don't enjoy this city, then um, you need to come up for prayer at the end because we'll, we need to deal with the spirit of heaviness. And... Uh, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you need to get out. You know, I, have, I just posted on Facebook a, a video that the city of Greenville did. It was like 20 different magazines, including like Times and like all these different travel and leisure. It's like, do you know that you live in one of the top 10 places that travel and leisure said you should visit in the world? And so if, you don't, if you're not exploring this region, then you're not stewarding it very well. You need to get out, go on a date. Go climb a mountain. I haven't climbed a mountain yet. Uh, went to Paris Mountain. That's not really a mountain. Um, very confusion, confusing. I, I, I live on Roper Mountain Road. Um, I guess you can just start calling hills mountains uh, as soon as you get to the foothills. My kids were so disappointed that there was no mountain at Paris Mountain. It's amazing, though, being here. Um, we're just loving it. My kids love it. We went around the table asking them what they were thankful for again. And uh, again, moving here is on the top of their list. And so it's awesome. I had an experience um, the first day that I had a face-to-face meeting with Chad. Chad Norris, the lead pastor here. I wasn't planning on coming on staff. It was just a prophetic thing. I was asking him to, to mentor me and um, we were doing through a Zoom huddle. I felt like that was kind of like the bachelor. You know, you just like wait on your turn to speak. And 
I just wanted to get a little bit closer. And I said, you know, I know how mentoring works. If I'm going to really receive from you, then I've got to be in your life and see you live your life. I've got to see the way that you argue with your wife in order for me to really be able to receive impartation. If that's not where this is headed, I'm okay with it. And I told him that. I said, but that's what I'm asking for. So we're discussing that. And uh, he says kind of yes to it. It's like, I'm not asking him on a date, but he says yes. Uh, and, uh, and we start that process. But as I'm driving out of the driveway of the church that day, the most strange thing happened to me. It's only happened one time um, while I've been awake. And uh, it hasn't happened again. I heard a, the voice of a demon, like a radio transmission, speaking to another demon I'm driving in my car, not thinking about something spiritual, thinking about how dreadful the two and a half hour drive is going to be back through Atlanta traffic. And I hear this voice say to another entity, that meeting was never supposed to happen. I cried for 10 minutes because all of a sudden I, you know, I was involved in ministry here, uh, eight or nine, nine or 10 years ago. Um, God was moving and some things happened. I ended up not being involved here anymore. I just didn't know what happened. Like, why was, why did everything just kind of end? And I realized in a second that God was redeeming something the enemy had done and was bringing restoration to it. And, uh, I, I actually led a, uh, equipping meeting, um, on prophetic and healing and power evangelism in Crossroads church a whole weekend. I never met Chad Norris. We were supposed to have met, but we didn't. That meeting was never supposed to happen. It's from the demonic's perspective. I'll tell you another story. About six months before we moved, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I guess I was maybe half asleep or something. I heard a voice say, a a not-so-nice voice say, so you think you're moving to Greenville. And then it laughed. Four months later, in the middle of the night, Lindsay wakes up, hears a voice out loud say, you think you're moving to Greenville, and it laughs hysterically. Well, yes. Hey, I think, I think we need to have a moment this morning. Um, you know, when tragic things happen, you, you have moments of silence. Does anybody else have a story in your life where you feared something or you felt like the enemy spoke something to you, but it didn't even come close to coming to pass? You raise your hand. That's the thing about lies is that they're not true. It's just really nice. When you're fighting someone you know always lies, then when he says something, you go, man, I'm not going to Greenville. I guess I'm being escorted by an angel army then. Um, thank you for that word. You know what the opposite of a lie is, right? It's the truth. So whatever the enemy's spoken over you, you know, we have these moments of silence for uh, tragedy. And I want to have a moment of smiling and laughing um, at how the enemy, I mean, he's fighting with a, a disadvantage when you can't say anything that's true. And you're facing off with truth itself. So here we go. Moment of smile. You better at least smile. Oh, there's a fake laugh. Yep. 
It really is amazing. You got to just laugh at it. It's funny. I was casting a demon out of a lady. Yeah, we're going there this morning. I was casting a demon out of a lady one time in, uh, in a housing, housing project in uh, Milledgeville, Georgia. And she, uh, the thing lifted its head and screamed at me, uh, you're not taking her away from us. You know how the story ends. It's really funny. Intimidation is the tactic of the enemy because he knows that's all he's got. He knows that we have authority over him, but he doesn't think that you know that you have authority. And so the only way to test that is to resist. It's kind of like a cop who orders someone to stand down. You know, you say, stop in the name of the law, you know, cop, stop, put your hands up. The enemy or the, the one who's being pursued doesn't necessarily have to immediately stop just because that cop is in authority. The enemy knows that you have a badge. The enemy knows that you're under authority. When he taunts you or when you say stop and then it's some, the situation keeps on going on for a little bit or the enemy runs or he doesn't do exactly what would be compliance, it tests whether or not you actually think you have that badge on. He knows that if he continues to mess with you, that there's something that backs that badge up. There's something that backs the authority up. But the Lord won't step in for someone who doesn't believe, who doesn't walk in faith, doesn't believe in their authority. But if I stand there and I face off, you know, so what do you do when the enemy says, you're not moving here, you're not doing this, you're not doing that? You do it. And then you laugh about it. I have watched uh, Cops a few times, a pretty funny, funny show. It's just funny. What the enemy will do, even faced with odds that are, do you realize that the U.S. military will come to your door if, if this thing draws out? Why are you running? <laughs> Don't be afraid of him. If you feel afraid, then just act like you're not. That works too. Being afraid and feeling afraid are not the same thing. Being afraid is when you act on the impulse of fear. But if I feel afraid and then I act on the impulse of faith, then I'm not afraid. I just felt afraid. Don't be afraid. Little side note here. Um, let's put up a picture of a cruise ship. Anybody getting beach fever in here? Um, I'm not so much... A uh, cruise guy. I don't know if it's a, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Um, if I get in a room of more than 20 people and it, there's not vaulted ceilings, it really starts to make my chest tight. Um, and uh, so, not really in, in, in someone who enjoys a lot of cruises, but there's something about a cruise ship, and it's just you go there, you pay your money, they got slides for the kids. The, the, the staff of that cruise ship is there to make sure that you have a wonderful trip. And how that staff of that cruise ship gauges whether or not they have been successful is they need you to come back next summer. If you come back, 
the staff of that cruise ship has been successful. And not only do you have to come back, but they want you to be happy about the way that you experienced your seven-day cruise. And that's the ultimate measurement of whether or not that cruise liner is being a successful ship. Does that make sense? A majority, I won't even say a majority, I don't want to just overgeneralize it. A lot of the Western church operates like a cruise ship. And it creates a sense of entitlement in its people. But sometimes you step on to a battleship. Let's look at a battleship. And you think that you're on a cruise ship. And that's not good. It's like, where's the buffet? Someone hands you a military weapon and a army fatigue. It's like... Puts you on a mission. It's like, hold on a second. Hold on. There's a lot of people that you, maybe you even walked into this church this morning. You go, something. This looks, it looks like one of your, your normal big church. I, the kiosk out there where you check in, it just prints it out for you. You don't even, it's, there's robots in here doing things for us. And uh, the music was wonderful. And there's the coffee bars out there. And it just, this feels a lot like a cruise ship. I'm telling you. You are on a very comfortable battleship. It just has a lot of upgrades. But this thing is a battleship. A battleship, the connection that you find when you're on a battleship isn't through, isn't the surface level connection of, of entertainment and fog machines and, and, and nice nights out and entertainment like on a cruise ship. It, you actually find family and connection here by fighting alongside of someone else, by serving someone other than yourself and doing it with another person. You know, have you ever, how many of you, how many military people do we have in here? We've got a good, a good handful. Isn't it true? I've never been in the military, but I can see the sense of family that gets established when people fight for a common mission. If you want to get connected here, start fighting. If you don't know how to fight, get trained to fight. There's a love in the midst of that process that's not service level. And I want you guys to know, because I know this, this, this staff, I know the leadership here. The leadership here is not satisfied. We don't count our success if, if you come back. And if you're just happy about the experience, this, that we're going to count success based on, are you becoming like Jesus? If not, then we failed. And that's not, that's not me. I just, that's my observation of the leadership here. So when you see the bullets start flying, just remember, oh yeah, I'm not in a cruise ship. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story. Another story. I love stories. I love when the Bible comes off of the page and actually you get experience. There's a, the, t- the kingdom of God is so tangible. That's why Jesus has manifested flesh and blood. He wasn't just a spiritual being. 
he ate and drank. Jesus eats food still. That's an amazing thought when you go out to eat today. Um, about a handful of years ago, my wife knows that I'm not going to get it right uh, if I try to tell you when exactly this happened. I meant to ask her when it happened, because I don't remember. Four or five, seven years ago, I was asked to come and speak at a, uh, a prophetic conference in uh, Kuwait. And the prophetic conference was in an underground church. Um, not literally underground, but an unknown church. And uh, it was with a, a guy named Sapresa Satole and uh, a mentor of mine uh, named uh, Mark Lawson. There were the other two speakers. And I go there, and to give you some context, um, it was not a suffering for Jesus trip. I was in a five-star hotel, and uh, most of the people in the uh, congregation were doctors, and they're from 25 different countries. And if you've never been to that location, I won't say it again, but if you've never been to that location, that country is made up of about 30 different ethnicities. And... Uh, and then you have some that are, are citizens, but they outsource a lot of their labor and work to all of Asia and India. And so I'm going to speak and, uh, and just being overwhelmed was like, I thought I was going on a missions trip, but it was just, it's like, it was luxurious. They call that place um, the Middle East America. And they love Americans because we helped aid them whenever Saddam Hussein was coming in to take over the whole region, right? So they love us. They want to be like us. That's not always a good thing. And, and so in the midst of that, though, I'm having terrible jet lag and terrible insomnia, and I'm, I'm, I'm having uh, panic attacks, right, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Prophetic Speaker. I'm terrified. I'm calling, I'm, I'm FaceTiming with my wife and kids, and it's like 3 a.m. there, and I, I haven't slept, and I'm supposed to be speaking. And so I show up to a session, and this is what I'm talking about. If you, if you feel afraid, just don't act afraid. That's all you have to do. You'll be fine. Um, really, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Uh, there's no reason. I, there was a, one session I wanted to back out of, and it's like, you know, I, I haven't had slept in two days, and I'm, supposed to, I'm not even supposed to be speaking at this session. And I said, okay, I'll go. I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, you need to go. So I'm speaking, uh, or I'm sitting on a panel of leaders uh, with Sapresa and Mark, and, and we're speaking to 80 uh, cell group leaders. So there's, they're house church leaders, and there's 80 of them. There's about 1,000 people in the church. And as we're speaking, uh, surprise, it turns to me. He's like, Mike, I, want, I feel like you're supposed to do prophetic ministry. So I get up and I start doing ministry, and, and God starts releasing words of knowledge. And uh, I saw uh, th- that there were people that were infertile there, and actually 12 women came up for prayer um, who were infertile, which was a crazy amount for the amount. About half the women in the room were infertile and knew it. Um, had been trying to have children but couldn't. And we prayed for them, and God, God did amazing, an amazing thing. All 12 of the uh, women were pregnant within two months. All 12. God loves babies. That's, that's, uh, he really likes babies. He loves moms and dads, too. I had another word of knowledge, though, that there was a man that was there who had a dream the night before that was a message for the group. 
And I gave that word, and a man came up, and he said, I had a dream, and I told the Lord if he wanted me to share the dream to tell you that I had a dream. And here's the dream, and he tells me the dream, and we share it with the whole group. The Holy Spirit's already ministering. It's incredible. And the next day, the same man walks up to me. He said, I had another dream. God had already shown me that it's probably him because of the, the first dream. And he said, I had another dream. He said, in the dream, you were sitting in front of, with the leadership panel, these morning, a morning session, and a person asked the question to you and to the panel, what is the greatest mystery in all of the Word of God? We start searching through the scriptures, we're looking, everyone's looking, and no one can find it. I can't find it, Sapresa can't find it, Mark can't find it, nobody, and none of the leaders can find it. And he said, and then a, a little girl walks up to you and hands you a note in the dream. He said, and then the dream ended. <laughs> but I knew that God had set me up. And as a pastor, I mean, let's just, let me just let you into my head. I do this professionally. If God gives me the greatest mystery in all the word of God, I'm about to write a book. And I, and I was thinking like that. And it's not, I mean, I was just thinking like, this is incredible. And, and more than that, he's going to let me into a deep place in his heart that I haven't discovered yet. And that just means that I'm a good friend of his. If he's going to reveal his secrets to me. We go through the whole day and nothing's happened. I remember getting ready, taking a shower and just going, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. I'll reveal whatever that thing is. And uh, I couldn't, no thoughts about what it might be. But I just had this anticipation. End up going to the session, Sopresis ministering. Um, I run up after he gets done and get him to uh, bear hug me and I'm rolling on the ground and... Uh, and then I get up and I'm like, no, that wasn't it. That just felt like kind of normal ministry. Um, definitely not the greatest mystery. I still don't know the answer. And as we're about to leave, it's the last session of the conference. And this is the same day that I was told the dream originally. A little girl walks up to me. Her name is Micah. She's the age of the girl in the dream. Micah walks up to me, Micah, and hands me a note. I grabbed the note, and uh, I instantly started shaking. Because I'm like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> I sat down in the pastor's office, and I opened up the note. And the note said, God loves you and your family. I was with Sopresa not too long ago, and I asked him if he remembered this. He said, I remember you sat in the back of that bus and cried for the whole hour journey to the hotel. I was sobbing uncontrollably. It was like I had, a, I had fallen in, into a, the bottom of a waterfall. And I, have, I had preached the love of God. I had, I had talked about the bridal paradigm of Jesus being our bridegroom king and the beauty of Jesus. I had done all of those things. I, it was like my message and what, but what I was experiencing was as it felt like as if I had never known that God loved me. It felt like I had never believed it. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 3, right? 
the immeasurable love of God. He prays in Ephesians 3 that we would know the height and the width and the depth of the love of God. A love that surpasses knowledge. That we would experience a love that surpasses knowledge. God spoke to me as I'm under this waterfall of his love. It felt like it it was going to kill me and I wanted it to happen. Um, He can be gentle and strong at the same time. All good fathers know how to do that. He spoke to me and said that this next move of his spirit was going to be completely and totally driven by love. Completely driven by love. You know there's a difference between knowing that your father loves you and feeling your father's love? There's a difference. It's, it's, a, it's complete neglect for me to live my life as a father just banking on the fact that my kid knows I love them. God's not holding you to that standard either. He wants you to experience his embrace. And it happens by faith. This is really the anchor. When we're talking about the battleship, this is really the anchor for our souls. This is the thing that makes everything else kind of grow dim. I love that old hymn, the... uh, that if we put, set our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. It's like, what, what problem? What problem? Because when we see his love, we're no longer reaching anymore for some kind of thing out there to, to make our life good anymore. My life and your life is good because he loves me and I love him. He really likes me. And he really likes you. And how many of you actually really like him? That's incredible. And you're going to spend the rest of eternity unpacking his goodness toward you. You are, you are love itself's focus. You're his prized possession. The angels fell and he just left them. Don't feel bad for him. But you better look at his love for you. We fell. He sacrificed his own life. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not... Put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, this isn't just something you leave on the Romans road. If you're being shaken right now in this season, and you can't come to a place where you find a sense of home and a sense of peace, I guarantee you this is the answer. 
There's a lot of answers for a lot of prescriptions in the Word of God that can help you in different various ways. But if, you, if we aren't settled in His love, if we're not receiving His embrace, not on good days or on Sunday mornings, but I mean every single day, every person in this room, your day needs to start and end in His embrace, especially if you failed Him that day. I know most of you didn't wake up this morning thinking, I, I think today I'll miss God. If you did, then uh, come up. I'm building a laundry list of things that you need to get ministry for this morning after I'm done. Do you know the reason that you can even be condemned is because you want to do the right thing? How many of you remember a time when you did things that were horrible, you know, within reason? Um, not trying to make this really bad, but you did bad things and you did not feel bad about it. Can you raise your hand? All right. The rest of y'all are lying. And, uh, you know, there's somebody that woke up this morning who was just at a rager last night and did acid or something. And they woke up thinking about how they were going to do it next weekend. Right. The only reason that you feel bad about things that you mess up in or, or when you fail or you come short is because you actually want to do the truth. You want to live in the light. And the enemy sees that and he goes, oh, I found one that wants to live in the light. So I'm going to move in with condemnation. It's like one of, uh, like a son of mine can do. It's like whenever he fails or something like that, it's like go up to the room, close the door, get under the covers, pout. Like it's going to help transform his life. What you need after you fail is to confess that you failed. And one of the best ways of confessing is just by showing up and going, I know, you know, David would say that in the Psalms. He said, my sins always before you. I know, you know, I'm not perfect. And then we hear the voice of the father saying, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you see it. He's speaking over us. He's going, I'm just glad that you see because a lot of people can't even see it. And if you can see it and you stay in my presence, you stay in my embrace, then my love transforms. My love never fails. So you stay with me. Stay in my embrace. Never, ever leave me is what he's speaking over us. Never leave my wrist. There's never an excuse. I never want you to go up into your room and hide for three days and see me next Sunday. I want to live with you. I want to be with you. I want to make my home with you. There's one thing that's going to change your life. He's speaking over us. There's one thing and nothing else. His love. His love experienced. You know how you turn an orphan into a son or a daughter? Love. And they'll never change outside of an embrace. Ever. You can't teach them into it. You can't be, listen, you need to do some things. You've got to love, love the orphan out. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. The embrace of God is the unshakable hope. 
It's what Paul, he, he, he ranted about it all through Romans and all through his letters. It's like, if God is for us, guys, then who can be against us? What I felt like over this spiritual family is God is redirecting attention onto him. That's biblical, right? But it can't just be an acknowledged, like something you assent, mentally assent to. It has to be something that is expressed in the way that you're living your life. What God's speaking to me on the front row this morning is, Micah, you need to come away and be with me. You need to come away. You need, you need to draw away for hours a day. He's speaking that over me. He needs to have my full attention. Not just because it's right, but because he's awesome. So what Blake was saying, he, I, he needs to be at the top of my list. Not just my goals, but actually the way that my life is expressed. Do you know how you express love to someone? You turn your attention to them. Wherever your attention is, is where love is being experienced. God's eyes are always on you. He's not just omnipotent and omnipresent. He's not, he, 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 he's emotion, he's an emotional God. You know why his eyes are on you? Because he likes you. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always end in a, the sense of a, a pat on the back, you know, love. Love, love is something that's more than just grins and giggles and, and kind acts. It, sometimes love looks like my son about to cross the street and a car's coming and I tackle him to the ground. <laughs> sometimes that's what love looks like. I remember waking up at the beach uh, this past uh, summer and I woke up and it was like there was a rocking chair sitting there was in the natural there was a rocking chair and God was sitting in the rocking chair now I didn't see him in the natural I'm not saying saying that maybe I'm wrong but this is definitely biblical um, I felt like God was sitting in that rocking chair invisible God staring at me and he was not pleased and I, I just I woke up and I said what and he said, I want to talk to you about your finances. You have a bad financial strategy. I said, okay, let's go out to the balcony. And we talked. A father, the father's love does not always feel good. And it is not loving at all for me to let my kid get hit by that car. Even if it hurts him. That's why the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. And when you try to resist discipline, I'm going to tell you what that's called. It's called rebellion. I can't rebel and be in his embrace at the same time. And that means I'll stop changing. I have to submit to his authority. And that submission, I'm telling you, and everyone in this room, because you woke up this morning, you, you don't want to miss God. I'm telling you, it, it's a lot more profound than you've ever believed. Receive his love. Receive his touch. Receive his affection. Receive his affirmation. 
Some of you, you've never experienced it in the natural. Some of you, you've never experienced the, the, the love of a good father. Maybe even the love of a mother. I, I know we've had painful pasts and different things have happened. I, I lost my mom in 2006, so a massive heart attack. I mean, I know there's a lot of tragedy that could be represented in this room. But in, in even, no matter how this past month has started your year or what has happened, I'm telling you, there's something that can make your life good in 2019 that's already been given to you if you'll just receive it. You guys stand with me if you don't mind. I love Greenville, but Greenville doesn't make my life good. I love my wife, but my wife doesn't make my life good. I love my kids, but they don't make it good. I, this, this move up here has, has, in a, more than a lot of different ways has felt like even promotion. But I want to tell you the truth. I decided a long time ago... 15 years ago, whatever, I got filled with Spirit in 2004, 5, so a while back, that I wasn't going to let anything, whether it was ministry or whatever it was, be the thing that made my life good. Because at that point, I, I was making $500 a month um, working as a full-time pastor at a college town and commuting an hour and a half um, both ways, three or four days a week. I didn't have a lot around me that I could go, well, this, I could reach for that, I could reach for, for this. All I had is the word of the Lord. And I decided that, that my future call in God was not, it didn't look like God raising up someone special like you guys to be given to me as a gift. I decided that I could see in Scripture that God didn't raise up David and then give the kingdom to him as a gift. God raised up David and gave David to the kingdom as a gift. Because in the heart of David, the kingdom didn't, he, it wasn't there to serve him. The kingdom didn't make his life good. And whether there was a little bit of turbulence here or a little bit of turbulence there, that didn't make his life good. There's something that trumps everything. His love is stronger than any turbulence. His love is stronger than any tragedy. It gives us an unshakable hope. And that's really the call this morning. I, I, I want to tell you this. If I could have uh, someone up here just maybe to play, because um, I would jump on the piano, but it might be less than uh, attractive. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet several individuals here this morning. Um, we've gone through these 21 days of fasting, so the atmosphere is pregnant with breakthrough. And I, I sense even a fi- the anointing for physical healing, um, which it isn't, it's not really off topic because Jesus said that healing is the children's bread. It's actually God heals out of his father heart. He doesn't heal because he can. He heals because he's compassionate. And he just cares. See, we, we, we've mentally assented to way too much of God's love without actually processing how much he actually cares. I prayed for Toby's wrist over here. And, uh, and nothing happened when I prayed for it this morning. But I was just thinking, like, 
sometimes you go, well, this is just a little thing, but you know, I put a Band-Aid on my six-year-old's knee yesterday, gladly. And if I don't, then that's kind of being a bad dad. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too big. He's just present and he just really cares. Let's just wait on him just for a minute. If you need to go pick up your kids, you can go pick up your kids and come back. Just, just put your hands out before the Lord. Maybe some of you are kind of like me where you're sensing the Lord just refocusing your attention. Holy Spirit, ask that all over this room, you release your embrace. Come and physically, through your Holy Spirit, the the Father's love is poured out through the Holy Spirit. Physically, embrace. And as you're receiving this, I want you to, by faith, see the Father embracing you. Some of you you just feel that resistance. Some of you, that's the reason that you don't like hugging people, because you haven't actually experienced the love of a Father. Uh, embrace is it stimulates these rem- reminders of abuse or or emotional trauma, and the Father wants you to sink into His embrace. See, God is someone who, when He gives you a hug, He kind of He makes sure you're in there real good, gives you a little squeeze. Some of you this year, you really need to sink down into it. Don't be so tense. Let the Father love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.